Well, last December, um, my son Sam and I got a fishing rod uh, each, and the purpose of a fishing rod is to catch fish. Uh, I have very different photos from what we've seen in, in the children's talk today. Um, according to the fish shop owner, the, the waterway is right near the fishing shop with just teeming with fish waiting to be caught by someone like me with the equipment that I just needed to buy. Well, so far the fish haven't been cooperating. I know it's early days, it was just back in January, and I'm approaching this with a growth mindset and I will chat with someone about it. In chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus announced he is the good news. The good news the whole world has been waiting for. And since that is the case, how on earth can Jesus hope that this good news is going to spread beyond himself? Um, if he, particularly if he's going to maintain the strategy he's got, as we saw in chapter 4, verse 44, for example, of preaching only in the synagogues of these, these towns around Judea. These tiny Jewish communities seem hardly ready to set the world on fire. It's got to break out. Somehow there's got to be multiplication. Imagine a tiny, tiny Jewish burger store wanting to become a worldwide burger chain, a global movement. If Jesus is to become a household name in every language around the world, how is that going to happen? He has no money, no American investor base, no marketing team. And as his mates say, isn't he just Joseph's son? Well, let's see Jesus. Watch him. Watch him begin to take his saving movement global. It all begins on a small fishing boat and some exhausted tradies minding their own business. First we see then point one, if you're following your outlines, the need for the word is obvious. The need for the word is obvious. We've seen it in previous chapters, we see it again now. The hunger for the word, the necessity of the word. Verse one, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him or pushing towards him and listening to the word of God. The need for the word is obvious. Like a, a queue waiting outside a good cafe. What a great problem we see Jesus having as his public ministry begins. He offers not food for stomachs, but spiritual, eternal freedom. Liberation from a world of spiritual, emotional, mental, physical sickness all suffering and suffering's root cause of sin he comes to deal with it verse 2 we read jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets he got into one of the boats the one belonging to simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore then he sat down and taught the people from the boat the early importance of the word of god is emphasized again here Verse 1, people are crowding, pushing in, listening to the word of God. And verse 3, Jesus is again going to, is teaching by his word. That's how the healing is going to happen, the teaching. The need for the word is great and it's obvious. Point 2, disciples are caught by the Lord Jesus in verses 4 to 10 of Luke chapter 5. Disciples are caught by the Lord Jesus. We see it as Jesus' word with the full might of God behind his word that catches the hearts and lives of his multiplication team 
his first disciples here in verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Again, Jesus is using his word. It's a command with a promise. Simon answered, Master, a softer word than the one he'll later use for Jesus, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, literally at your word, we'll let down the nets. In Nazareth, in Nazareth, we saw last chapter, Jesus' power was met, chapter 4, verse 22, with that little bit of doubt. Isn't he Joseph's son? But here you could say Jesus is met with a little bit of faith. I can't see the point of listening to a carpenter's fishing tips after a solid night of fishing, wasted effort. We're tired, we're hungry, this makes no sense, but because you say so, at your word, I'll let down the nets. A little bit of faith. That's all it takes. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And not only is the cafe now full, but the rented shop next door is also full. And the FPOS machine and the coffee machine is smoking as the payments come in and the coffee's being made. The demand for Jesus' word is now mirrored by the fish's demand for the nets. At Jesus' word of a catch, because Jesus says so, the nets were let down, even if a bit reluctantly. But at Jesus' word for a catch, because Jesus says so, the fish respond with no reluctance at all. What authority his word has, how it deserves to be trusted, how Christians, I think, are to realize the power of God to save when he can do things like this, demons, fever, all kinds of sickness, and now the fish in the sea, fish in the seas I've been around don't understand English, they don't listen to my voice, we aren't told all the questions going through Peter's mind. But perhaps they included, what does this effortless authority say about this man? Who but God does something like this? It's just one of those moments where your head can't comprehend what you're seeing. Peter's little faith is met with its mighty object. Peter's little faith met its mighty object that day. And look at verse 8 and enjoy each phrase with me. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell. That's the reaction, in shock, in awe, in horror, in worship. He fell at Jesus' knees. Was it an instant sense of diminishment, unworthiness, being so close to someone so glorious and holy and other? Peter didn't jump overboard as he could have done. He didn't dive into the corner of the boat. He stays near, interestingly, as near as Jesus' knees that the knees be mentioned. Is it just that his knee height or are his arms clinging around Jesus' knees, even while saying, go away from me, Lord? Go, no, don't go. But how can you stay near me and I you when I am me and, and you are you? And notice Peter becomes so aware of his sin in the Lord Jesus' presence. It's just like others in centuries earlier when God came near. You're on holy ground, Moses. Remove those sandals. 
Exodus chapter 3. Or when Joshua and Israel are about to go into the promised land. And it seems the Son of God, a, a pre-incarnate version of the Son of God, appears as a man, a soldier, and says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Take off those sandals, you're on holy ground, Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. Or Isaiah, who heard the angels crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What does Isaiah say in response to God's nearness? It's very similar to Peter's, Woe is me, for I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What are human eyes to do with that? So Peter is in special company. Each of them, when seeing even the edge of the radiance of the glory of God, some steps removed from God himself, the edge of the radiance of his glory, they have a terrifying awareness of their own moral dirtiness, their own unworthiness. Like a cockroach with the the light switched on, there's nowhere to hide. Every human will one day be similarly exposed to God's presence. Now is the time to make peace with God and be exposed while he's come to save Don't meet him when it's too late. And he comes as judge. And perhaps he's exposing sin in in us, in you, even now. And something's not right in your life. Now is the time to deal with it. Peter says, you're holy, I'm not. You are light. And you expose my darkness. I can't coexist with you as I am, but I don't want to go anywhere. King David similarly had a great sense of God when he prayed Psalm 51. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Or as the song we just uh, sung together puts it, stained by sin. To you I cry, wash me, Saviour, or I die. That's the Christian reality. That's our awareness. But we live in this beautiful realm of righteousness and forgiveness and grace where all of our sin, past, present and future has been done away with in the cross that was ahead of Jesus at this time. But what a spectacle we see here today. We see here today through Scripture's window. It's not just to change Peter and the disciples' life. This encounter is to change our lives. We see the Lord Jesus' glory, even if secondhand and through the eyes of Peter first. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions, and we here today, are astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. These disciples and and this inner circle, Peter, James and John, were like the executive within the the twelve, which would go on to be like the twelve, the the reconstitution of Israel, as a, a new Israel is built. For a kingdom that's going to span the, wor- the earth. So these disciples are caught so that thirdly, the court are ready to catch others. And we see this in verses 10 to 11. What is Jesus' plan then? I said at the beginning, it's multiplication. One voice will become 12, which will become 70, which will become thousands, which will become millions. And isn't it beautiful? It all starts in a humble fishing boat. It starts in a fishing boat 
with self-professing sinners, spiritual losers whose defeat will be completely overwhelmed by Jesus' victory. Don't be afraid, Jesus says to the sinner in front of him, to this trembling fisherman. Jesus doesn't push Peter away, but indicates, I am here for people just like you. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And notice the response in verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, a small fortune of fish, and followed him. Like every true Christian, by definition, since that day, they left all to follow Jesus. That's what a Christian is and does. To call him Lord is to put him first over everyone and everything. We leave everything to follow him. It's a helpful encounter for us today as well to remember that, isn't it? They left one job behind, but they got the promotion of all promotions when they followed him. He will not only wash away their sin, he will call them us, friends, sister, brother, and honour us with his mission, the most meaningful work there is. What great dignity there is in representing God to the world. But you, even you, will lead souls into my kingdom Souls more numerous than the stars in Abraham's sky. With Jesus the glorious in view, what would have been a crazy decision to leave everything behind now doesn't even seem to register as a sacrifice at all. Not, hmm, will I sacrifice my time, my money, my life's priorities for Jesus? I'm pretty busy, I don't really have much time for church and church life. I'm just so busy at work, I don't have a chance to share him with others. It's much simpler than that, isn't it? It's far more joyful than that scenario. They simply left everything and followed him. Sacrifice can feel like really hard work when you see yourself as a religious churchgoer. But sacrifice feels much easier when you're caught by Jesus captivated by him, the sheer power and goodness of Jesus, that leads to a much more natural following of him. If you're trying to do it by pure willpower, you're up against it. How is this to change the way we live then? Well, firstly, just as Psalm 67, that great psalm taught Israel, Israel, you're blessed in order to be a blessing. You're blessed to bless. Jesus is teaching a very similar lesson here, saying, You're caught to catch. Christians, you're caught to catch. If you're caught by Jesus, you're caught to catch. God has placed you in a fishing community. He's given places for you to fish that are unique to you, friendships you have. You have an opportunity to learn from a fishing community, to start fishing alongside others who are perhaps doing it better than you, to work as a team on a Sunday gathering. You might not have brought a friend, but you can certainly be part of a warm welcome for them. You can team up with other households to offer hospitality. You can pray with your home group for people you'd love to see come to him. But DPC, if we haven't thought about this very consciously recently, perhaps we haven't, today's the day. Let's fish. Let's fish for fish. Let's speak of what we know in the hearings hearing of those who don't yet know. Let's be deliberate in our fishing. 
I was really privileged to be at two funerals last week. And often in funerals, um, it's the case regularly, where there's a combination of those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians, what strikes me is the clear knowledge that Christians have versus the guessing or the hoping, the wishing of those who don't have what we have. And what we have is a body of teaching, it's knowledge. We know about God, life and death and the afterlife, not as a wish, we know it as knowledge, the word of God. I don't think the world around us has any idea how valuable you are as a source of knowledge. And they won't know unless you speak of what you know and why you know it to be true. If you don't see yourself as a fisherman yet, perhaps start just with some burlick. That's the fish bait scattered over the water. It might be offering more casual hints towards God of how you see life with your friends. It might be just starting to pray more often for certain friends. These little progress steps are better than staying still. But brothers and sisters, keeping your eyes on the Jesus in the boat. Keep your eye on Jesus in the boat and then just let your mouth say what it wants to say. Spending time with Jesus, he's the key. He can easily make you more creative, persistent, fearless, practiced, available. He can even bring fish into a reluctant net. The second thing I want to ask is a question, a question I don't ask often, but I want to ask, is full-time Christian ministry for you? I want to say a special word to those who might become pastors or missionaries or chaplains. We're all fishers of people, so I don't promote full-time paid Christian work very often. But I wonder if God might use a passage like this to stir some of you up toward full-time Christian ministry with the rest of your life. It might be as a pastor or pastoral team member like Janet or Andrew or Rachel. It might be like one of our students uh, training for ministry like Joe or Will. And you might naturally say, well, I've got good plans to serve God in this or that career. And it might be you head towards that career. But I want you to know as well, Charles Spurgeon, the preacher, he influenced millions of lives in a way no other line of work can easily match. And the pastor who preached to him influenced millions of lives in a way that a prime minister or president will never match. Charles Spurgeon said, if God calls you to be a minister, don't stoop to becoming a king. If God calls you to become a minister, don't stoop to becoming a king. God needs, sorry, God's people need God's word and servants set apart to proclaim it to them. And so I feel there's no greater treat, no greater privilege for me to do than to work as a pastor. And the same may, might be true for three, five, ten, twenty of us sitting here today. Some of us might become missionaries that the rest of us can send. There are fishing areas where the name of Jesus has not yet been heard. Perhaps no boats if God is putting the worlds less reached on your heart, then I urge you to take steps towards reaching them. I'd love for us to grow as a missionary church, for more of our budget to be going elsewhere. Go towards families like those I mentioned. Wouldn't it be great to see in our prayer nights 
our prayer nights packed like fishing nets. Hear regularly of gospel conversations with friends who are not yet Christians. If that just becomes the way we talk to each other. Where we see the church's financial needs met early in the year rather than right at the end. We hear of God bringing more people out of the woodwork into our lives. Comings for reasons we can't explain with an appetite for God's word. And that's been happening in recent months. I don't know if you're aware of that. People just coming. I needed to come to church. It's wonderful. Answered prayer. A few years ago, the shortage of ministers was being discussed on a show called The Pastor's Heart. And Philip Jensen was asked about the shortage of people studying in full-time, in in Bible colleges around Australia and even the Western world. Um, Why are enrolments down? Why is there a shortage of Anglican ministers and ministers of other denominations? What's going wrong? And Philip's reply was quite controversial. I don't raise it to bring controversy, but he said, gospel workers typically follow where the consistent articulation of the gospel is. Gospel workers follow where the, the gospel is being clearly articulated regularly. And so if there aren't workers emerging, he said, perhaps it's the gospel isn't coming through clearly. I think the question of then the interviewer said, are you saying it's not clear enough? And he said, well, if the cap fits. Perhaps it's a a critique. It's something we want to question ourselves, isn't it? Individually and and corporately. Is the gospel too soft from our lips? Is the relevance of Jesus not coming through because the threat of Jesus, the, the warning of judgment isn't coming from our lips? Certainly in our hypersensitive culture, it's very easy for us, culturally, to become very soft to the point that it doesn't offend anyone anymore. The gospel calls sinners to repent. It warns of consequences if people don't. And it urgently urgently calls them to cry out to Jesus for salvation or suffer God's wrath as a consequence. If we have a clear understanding, a right reverence for Jesus, we won't be afraid of people's reaction to us when we share even the hard news of his good news. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. There's American Christianity, there's Korean Christianity, there's Sydney Christianity. But the challenge for every Christian in every culture is to be a Christian whose Christ is this Jesus. This holy, awesome, saving, present one who fills the earth with his glory. That's our Jesus. That's the Christ of our Christianity. He came not to repel cockroaches, but to as the son of Adam, son of God, to free those made in his image from their blindness and prisons and poverty. The real and only Jesus of Christianity came that sinners like us fall at his knees in humble reverence. When you're on the bus, at school, university, praying for a friend, this is the Jesus who is now with you. Not a weak, distant Jesus, but a powerful Jesus able to fill fishing nets with a word. Invisible to your eyes, yes, but no less present and glorious. Christians, I want that to be your Christ. There's no other Christ than that. If you knew this Jesus has accepted you, how secure your life could be. If you knew this Jesus has your back, what wouldn't you do in your exploits for his kingdom? 
If we knew as a church Jesus had our backs, we'd know our future is absolutely secure in his hands. How confidently we could engage and pursue next things with an all-in ministry mindset. If you knew this Jesus will be there for you in retirement, at your death, beyond the grave, how confidently you could approach each. If you are not yet a Christian, when you see Jesus as he is, your life will begin. If you're not yet a Christian, pray that he will show you himself, reveal his glory to you. For those who are Christians, when you see this Jesus as he is, who is going to stop you from growing? You can't see him and not change. You can't regularly be in contact with this Jesus and not step up and step out and go in faith and with kingdom zeal. You can't keep looking at this Jesus without becoming more like him. In the book of Acts, Stephen had a very clear vision of Jesus. And in the same breath, we could say that Stephen was filled with wisdom and love and boldness and joy and perseverance. Friends, nothing less is true Christianity. Perhaps you feel, when you're honest with yourself, you've been just a bit apathetic or even playing around with Christianity, not engaging with this Jesus. Might not Jesus, King of Grace, say, I'm here? Before saying, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. What God wouldn't do through a church family whose Jesus is this Jesus? Well, let's pray.